huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, kid, I've seen you've been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. GPS guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God, is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by the Fantrax Podcast Network. I am Pat Donovan. Joined by Mr. Orange Juice himself, Nick Ligatino. <laughs> Baseball is manana. I can hardly be contained right now. I'm so excited. Yeah, Nick is going to sit down with four pitchers of orange juice and just drink that crap all day while he watches <laughs> baseball. Because there's nothing Nick likes more than orange all right, juice. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Joe Saunders. What's up, Joe? Uh, what's going on? Chances are baseball is probably today when you're listening to this. Yeah, guys. Now it's time to get excited. We are excited. The season has kicked off, at least in the future. (laughs) All right, so let's kick the show off with some news and notes. Madison Bumgarner. This seems like years ago because it happened on Friday, but he broke his hand, was hit by a line drive, and is slated to miss approximately six to eight weeks. Now, most drafts are over. What do you do if you are the Bumgarner owner? So if you took him pre-injury? Yeah. Well, you got you to work the waiver wire really well. Uh, take some shots on young talent. Joe, you like Stratton, right, in that rotation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I like that... Stratton, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about Stratton later, too. I'm like, I'm like, eh, on Stratton, but... Um, yeah, you got to find somebody with good K upside, a guy like Sean Newcomb, who we're definitely going to talk about later. Um, but you're not going to find the ratios, obviously. I think Bumgarner is going to be closer to the six-week um, timetable uh, as opposed to the eight-week, just because, like we always talk about, he's extremely competitive, and uh, I think he'll work his way back sooner than later, as he did last year with the with the shoulder injury. He's got competitive um, bones. He's got competitive – yeah, he's got competitive hand. His <laughs> hand is going to regenerate. Um, but, uh, yeah, so stash some high upside K guys like Newcomb or uh, Jimmy – well, not Jimmy Nelson. He's dead too. Yeah, as far, far as what to do with Bumgarner himself, um, I think just stand pat. You're, you'll probably get low ball offers, um, but I wouldn't really move him because I think even at with 130 or so innings, they'll be fairly elite innings. 
Yeah, I'm going to take a slightly different approach than Nick. Um, I think the best way to deal with this might be just to put Bumgarner on the DL and try and find uh, like a hot, a good ratio reliever and try and get your Bumgarner plus reliever innings to like the 160 range. Because you got to figure Bumgarner is going to be like 120, 130. And if you can get 30-ish elite relief innings, then you're really only missing like 50 innings of top-notch production. <clears throat> and I mean, candidates for that role, Brad Peacock, Josh Hader, Tommy Canely, Anthony Swarzak, Yasmiero Petit. <clears throat> Could even take the shot on Tyler Glass now. Um, although I'm, he's yeah, definitely at the no, back of that list. Yeah. Um, but they're like all pretty much free to acquire. And even if they're on other teams, I don't think that they're valued so highly that it would be difficult to get them in a trade. You know, but I mean, if you were to insist on taking a starter, Nick mentioned Chris Stratton. I think the Angels starters, not named Richards or Otani, would be relatively available. Jake Junis, who we're going to talk about later, Hyunjin Ryu. Um, two young guys, Nick Pavetta and Marco Gonzalez, could be interesting. But I, I prefer the reliever route. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm down with that. That's a pretty good strategy. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy too. Okay, and we go from news that's a week old to news that is breaking as of a few hours ago. Salvador Perez slipped carrying his luggage and hurt his MCL. He's going to be out four to six weeks. So, same sort of question. If you're the Sal Perez owner, your drafts are done. What are you doing uh, in terms of trying to get a replacement? Who's a guy that you like that's out there? Well, Right now, under 50% owned in Yahoo leagues, Yasmani Grandal, surprisingly, that's that's really low uh, for a catcher. I and mean, when you compare it to a guy, let's just say Jonathan Lucroy, who's next, um, the next guy up, he's going, he's 64% owned, and I'm not really sure why. Grandal turned in a kind of a Salvador-esque year last year. Uh, he hit 22 home runs. He had a healthy OPS. The batting average was. I believe 240, let me put up real quick. Yeah, it's 247. So uh, Sal's usually, what, like a 260-ish type hitter? Yeah. Yeah. So And with Grandal, Grandal, um, he's got more power upside. I know that there's an issue there with Barnes uh, and 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 the the playing time. But the way it looks right now, Barnes had a really rough spring. And it seems like the Dodgers are just just always committed to Grandal. The last couple of seasons, so hasn't Barnes been banged up too? Uh, I mean, he's played through it if he has been, but I, just... I thought he was like they were, they were reluctant to play him at catcher because he had shoulder problems. Oh, uh, maybe. Well, I mean, he does he does have second base eligibility this year, and um, you know that's obviously a big plus. But uh, yeah, I think I think Grandal is a guy you look at, and I think uh, Austin Hedges, a guy I've spoken about a lot on the pod. He hasn't done it yet but I like him for 20 plus home runs and uh, a healthy average 250 plus on a not so bad Padres team. Yeah. So I'm uh, outside of the, just outside of the top 12 is Austin Barnes as the, uh, the Turner injury may open up some second base playing time for Barnes, but um, outside the top 300 and uh, I don't actually know his, his percent owned, but probably fairly low. I'd say Jorge Alfaro. Um, 
he's definitely a big question mark in terms of ability, but we know he's got pop and he's got the starting gig in Philly, which is kind of important here because I'm sure there aren't a lot of catchers left on the wire that have sole possession of a job. Like Chance Sisko, for example, who we'll talk about a little later, is probably going to split time with Caleb Joseph. Tyler Flowers might split some time. So it's hard to get guys that'll for sure get at bats. Yeah, I, I definitely like Hedges probably the best of the names that have been thrown around other than Grandall, but I'm, I'm imagining that Grandall is gone in most leagues. Um, you know, even if his ownership's 42%, you know, like in most of the leagues our listeners play and he's probably gone. Um, a name that I like um, is someone that Joe just touched on is Tyler Flowers. I, I think that he's a guy that can provide a healthy average um, and pretty good production because I think he's going to hit in the middle of the lineup. Now, as Joe laid out, yeah, he's like more of like a 60%, 65% timeshare guy. So you're not going to get the volume from him. So maybe he's not a great play in Roto, but I like him in head-to-head. But even in Roto, I mean, he's a catcher that has kind of transformed himself and he can hit for a relatively good average. Uh, he's think like 275 with like 20 homer pop. Um, you know, when you pace him out to a full season's workload, which probably comes out to about 15 homers at his current playing time. But still, that's the guy I think I would look at because I, I don't see who's hitting behind Freeman in that lineup. And I imagine that Flowers is going to hit somewhere around four or five when he's in there. Okay, Scott Kingery signed a contract with the Phillies, contract extension. He's going to be on the 25-man roster, but without a clear path. Are you diving in on early fab bidding with Kingery, even with the doubts about how much playing time he gets? And do you think he gets over or under 450 plate appearances this year? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely diving in. I think he gets over in the plate appearances. And, what percentage of your fab budget? Uh, if it's our percentage wise. Yeah, because then you can kind of do it across the board. Because yeah. Uh, I would say a little over, in between maybe ten and twenty percent. So fifteen percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, what about the at bats? What do you what do you what do you think? Uh, plate appearances, I said over under four fifty. Yeah, I think he goes over. Joe, uh, I think he goes over, just slightly over. So, um, Kepler said he he wants to try and fit Kingery everywhere, pretty much outfield, infield. Um, I don't think he's got a lot of professional outfield experience, so it might be a little tight. Um, but I think he'll. I think at the end of the day, he'll get over four fifty. And what do you think about him as a fab target? Well, uh, I only bid about 5% in our home league, so I'm going to go with 5%. <laughs> and it was yes. way under. So, Yeah, I placed a small bid uh, in our home league as well. How much? It, oh God, like... I think it was like not even 10%. Yeah, I was going to say like 2%. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of that had to do with the way the team was constructed. I didn't really need a power speed type, and that's really where Kingery comes in. And I also didn't need to emphasize versatility either because I've already got that. So, I mean, if you need the versatility or you need some category juice, Kingery's a, an asset. And I think he's really a big asset in head-to-head daily leagues because you need to be able to change that lineup daily to get him in when he's in and get him out when he's out. 
<clears throat> I think he's going to, I think his playing time is going to resemble Ian Happ from last year, except he's obviously starting the year in the majors. Happ took a month and a half to get up. Um, so I think he's going to go over that 450, but I don't know. It's going to be much more than 500. Um, what do you guys think about that? Is, is like the hat sort of comparison good, or do you think he's got a more concrete role? No, I, I think he's got an easier path. I mean, perhaps, you know, second base last year, it, it would have been tough to him for him to just come in and get the job over Baez where, Pingery is – he can play anywhere, and you've got a lot of guys in that team right now that, that have some question marks, and they're going to compete. The Phillies are going to be really good this year. They're just getting better and better every day. So uh, I think he comes up he's, – he's in – I mean, he already he's already on the club, so I think he's going to get the at-bats, and I think he's going to play a lot, and he's going to have a different type of year than he can have better. Uh, okay, so the Phillies are definitely pretty good. I agree. But I don't know if there's necessarily like a, a clear path to playing time. I mean, uh, Crawford will probably slot into shortstop, right? Cesar Hernandez is pretty darn good, you know, in real life sense. And um, so it might take Mikel Franco to really, really struggle. And he's not, it's not like he's like 29. I mean, he's only 25. So he still might have a bit of a leash too. And that outfield was already crowded, too. Yeah, and the outfield is crowded, right? So he, the, pl- the playing time is definitely not going to be outfield. It's got to be somewhere in the infield. So I, I I, do think he'll be between, like, 450 and 500 at the end of the day, but I don't think it's easy, like Nick suggests. All right, Denelson Lamette just added to the DL. Out approximately six weeks with elbow soreness although there was no structural damage. And after initial reports, there was some buzz that he was feeling a lot better and could possibly be back before May. If you are shopping for a replacement for Lamette, who are some names going mostly undrafted that you would target? Uh, definitely Jack Flaherty. We're going to get to him it's later. Definitely Jack Flaherty. Right. Yeah. Like if he, if he's, if he's available, he's the target. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. He's looked great this spring. Also, I know you guys aren't crazy about him, but, I'll bring him up again. Sean Newcomb's a guy to watch. The command has been better this spring. Nick really um, likes Sean Newcomb, everyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love Sean Newcomb. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's Matt's, Janice, Shoemaker, Skaggs. Like you mentioned before, Pat, the the, uh, the Angel starters. But I think Matt's could have some juice. What do you think about Nova? How do you like? How do you nah, feel about Nova? I'm done. Really? Yeah, he's, he offers nothing in strikeouts. Yeah. Okay. Like he's, he's, he's like a zero. Yeah. I think I'm more inclined though, to take the shot on the starter. If I'm replacing Lamette. Yeah. He's much less of an investment. Whereas with Bumgarner, like I said, I'm really trying to protect like those elite innings. So I'm more inclined to take the reliever with him. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's talk about Jack Flaherty since we just brought him up. It was announced that, Due to Adam Wainwright's injury, Flaherty is going to start the year in the rotation. Do you think this is just a couple of turns, or will he find his way there for good? Yeah, I, I definitely think he's going to find his way there for good. Uh, this is a guy that I've spoken about all offseason. He's got such good breaking stuff. Um, he's making strides in his command year after year. This spring, he's looked extremely sharp. Um, 
I, I absolutely love the kid. I think he's going to stay in this rotation the entire season. <clears throat> he's going to post something like a high threes ERA, uh, a, a healthy whip, and really nice K, K totals and good good uh, ratios between uh, uh, Ks and walks. I disagree. Um, I liked him. I think we all like him, and we like the stuff. Um, I mentioned this, I think, on the pitching pod, that I still think Adam Wainwright has earned his keep, and I think he'll still, once he gets back from his hamstring injury, he'll still get the starting gig. Wait, what do you mean by earned his keep? Uh, that he's <laughs> been in St. Louis forever. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if he's good anymore, but... <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, I just wanted to clarify because that could have been taken multiple different ways. Okay. Yeah, what, I'm sort of I'm sort of torn. My heart wants one thing, my mind wants the other. He's certainly good enough to take the job outright, but I think I'm with Joe here. I think it's a couple of turns and then they give the job back to Wainwright for nostalgia's sake. I mean, of course, I think Flaherty works his way back there again before the season ends, either through Wayne Rice's poor performance or injury attrition, but I don't think he's going to go straight through unless he gets off to a ridiculous start. I mean, I'm talking like one of the best pitchers in baseball over, you know, a three start stretch to start the year. Um, I think even still, he might get the boot, to be honest. Possible, but that's his path. Yeah. I think that's the only way. Okay. So, Greg Bird. Out six to eight weeks, needs surgery to remove a broken, uh, excuse me, a bone spur in his ankle. It feels like the same old story. If you have no DL, are you moving on from Bird? And if you have the DL, he's a definite stash, right? Yeah, if you have the DL, it's a definite stash. If you don't have the DL, as much as I really like Bird, and he was a guy that I think he, he was one of my bold predictions, I, I, I just... He's so freaking injury prone. I, I as a Yankee one. fan, what was that? Oh, for one. Yeah, I just, I exactly. <laughs> I can't, already. I can't believe that he's hurt already. Like as when you when when I talk to other Yankee fans, we're just like, oh my god, we cannot. Like it's it's insane. The guy has just made a glass. So, um, I'm I'm unfortunately dropping him. Um, and it it really sucks because I had him projected for like an insane year, like 35 home runs and all kinds of good totals and sucks. Okay. Is there anybody you like in particular to fill in, Nick? Uh, on the waiver right now, I mean, look, take a look at Neil Walker. Um, Neil Walker's had a nice path to some real playing time now in Yankee Stadium. It's a guy who has been criminally underrated his entire career. I mean, not the last couple of years. I get that he's why he's been undrafted. But his earlier years in Pittsburgh, he's just a solid 20-plus home run hitter with good average, good OPS. He's a smart hitter. Doesn't strike out much, and now he's in the best, one of the best ballparks in baseball with one of the best lineups in baseball. Um, he could get some serious playing time and pump out some real nice counting stats. So, I, I really like Neil right now. Let me ask you guys something: between Greg Bird, Madison Bumgarner, Justin Turner, and Salvador Perez, Greg Bird's definitely the guy out every time, right? If you only have, let's say, three DL slots. Oh, absolutely, yeah, of course. Yeah, as as uh as far as who I who I think is a good guy to uh, slot in for Bird is Grichuk, Randall Grichuk. Um, he's got similar pop, 
Um, similar sort of batting average too. I mean, he's a similar similar player in almost every way. Um, just a different position. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a little bit of a deeper name. Uh, Lucas Duda is going to probably play a ton in Kansas City um, at first base. Um, <clears throat> I know they took a hit with Sal, but uh, Moustakis is back there. I, I still think that he can put up 30 homers over the course of a full season. Knows how to take a walk. Yeah, the batting average won't be great. But, um, you know, I, I think the Duda still has some pop and he's readily available. And I think his teammate Jorge Soler is also interesting in the same vein as Grichuk, although not quite as appealing. Um, but Soler can hit for a ton of power, uh, might even be able to swipe a few bags. Um, so if you're just looking to replace the power in a deeper format, that's a name to keep your eye on. All right, let's run through some closer news because there was plenty of it. Mark Melanson might not be ready to start the season. He's still feeling something in his elbow. That's not good. Um, where are you placing your chips in the San Francisco bullpen? Hunter. Hunter Strickland? Yeah. First off, I'd like to say I'll take the points for this one. Um, you, you do. You, <laughs> you got him. Uh, yeah, if I, if I was a betting man, it's Hunter Strickland, but I have a really sneaking suspicion that it's going to be Tony Watson. Yeah. As much as I'm not excited about Hunter Strickland, I think he's got the best skills in the pen, and that's where I'll place my bets. Um, Dyson can kill you. Watson can kill you. You know, I mean, so even if they do take the job, I don't know that I'm that interested in them because I don't know that they're all that much more appealing than like a Fernando Rodney type. I'll take the safe play in terms of ratios and hope for the best. So Angels beat writers Jeff Fletcher says he thinks that Blake Parker is going to get the first crack. Uh, are you guys with me that only Mike Sosha knows who the hell he's going to get give the call to on the first game of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this this is just speculation from a beat writer. Um, and I still think that it's going to be Jim Johnson because – there is no justice in the world. Wild call. <laughs> Brad Boxberger was named the closer in Arizona. Are you holding on to Archie Bradley? Definitely. Yeah, because uh, he's like a Josh Hader type, right? Even uh, even if he's not getting saves, he'll still provide you uh, good ratios. So yeah, and he's worth the hold. Boxberger's thrown like thirty innings in the last yeah like, that's three too. years. He's made a glass. Yeah. But that said, the people that pick Boxberger, good on you. I mean, you cashed in, at yeah, least in yeah. the short term. Definitely. And then we've got some guys that are apparently going to be sharing saves. Nate Jones and Joaquin Soria and with the White Sox. And Dominic Leone and Tyler Lyons in St. Louis uh, with Luke Gregerson on the shelf. Any name that you find particularly interesting among that crowd? Yeah, the guy that I wanted out of out of all four was Nate Jones. Uh, I think he's going to take this job at some point and uh, run away with it. Because Saria, he'll start off good, but at some point he'll just break down like he always does. Jones is the guy. Yeah, we've this this pod has been on Jones at least for two years yeah, you now. Talk about a guy that throws like thirty innings. Yeah, that's this that's, guy throws like thirty innings in like four years. That's the biggest problem. And um, I like Leon. I like Leon better than Jones, and I also like 
Lions probably better than Jones because I think uh, I think they're both pitch, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to move on to some early season do's and don'ts. So this is my list. First up, I've got do watch as much baseball as you can. Drink it in. It always goes down smooth. <laughs> Drink that orange juice. Yeah. Yeah, this is an obvious one. Just uh, just watch some games. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah, and use use your use the good old eye test. Yeah, yeah I was about the- to say, don't don't just enjoy it. Watch it with a critical eye. That's yeah. how you pick up on the Chris Taylors and the Luis Castillos of the world. The, the numbers are unstable, but the eye test will give you a good idea where the changes are coming from. Yeah, Pat Pat wasn't watching baseball in 2014 when I stole Chris Medlin from him for uh, Dexter Fowler. Yeah, you know, you know who's someone someone who like immediately pops out to my head is actually Xander Bogarts. Like, I'm really interested to see yeah. some more Xander Bogarts and, and that adjusted swing. Yeah, I think he might even go too much the other way, to be honest. Yeah, you just hate Bogarts. Yeah, I just don't like Bogarts. <laughs> Do not have Xander Bogarts on your team. <laughs> okay, in all seriousness, do not live and die with each pitch and each at-bat. Unless if it's uh, Byron Buxton. <laughs> Batting eighth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Buxton's batting it. That's not good. Next up. Well, are you not going to elaborate on that? Oh, no, I mean, yeah, like, th- the same way you shouldn't uh, live and die on each game, individual game. I mean, uh, baseball is a long season, as we all know. And I think there's I think there's some value. There, I mean, there's definitely some value in watching each at-bat. Like, it kind of ties into that first point. Um, but each at bat individually, you don't want to give too much weight, especially this early in the season. See, I think this is sort of a skill. Like, fantasy baseball is fun, but it's a lot of work. And when you're staring at an opening day filled with over fours and pitcher blowups, it's rough. And you kind of need to take a step back and detach yourself, like you said, like you were hinting at, Joe. I mean, you need to let the season develop. You know. The bottom of the roster, provided you don't have strong feelings about guys, you can sort of churn and burn there, but you just have to be careful um, and not panic. Nick, you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely uh, as far as live and dying with, do not live and die with each pitch. It's and each at bat. It's really hard to do that if you're a one of those. Yaziel Pui, Carlos Gomez owners, <laughs> yeah. like those kind of guys get you really frustrated. So just, you know, bear with them and they'll, they'll eventually find it. Except for Carlos Gomez, who's just yeah. bad. <laughs> All right. So do comb your free agency list for bench pieces and stashes. Yeah. I think uh, every fantasy owner worth, uh, worth anything does this like pretty much immediately right after a draft yeah depth is key man depth is key to winning a fantasy championship there are injuries that are going to happen in baseball there are young players out there right now on the waiver wire that are going to break out it happens every year 
and you need to be smart about it. And what I do and what I did this year and every year is after the draft, I take the guys with the most upside, I pick them up and hope they go nuts to start the year. And right, th- and if they do, I have a really nice trade chip. Yeah, I think this is somewhere where we might have missed the boat a little bit before the season started. Um, you know, and and this Joe has hinted at. You know, like I like to think that our listenership is knowledgeable enough that this stuff is fairly common sense. But uh, the the DL and minor league spots, or in Yahoo, you have the NA. Those slots are your best friends especially in the late rounds of drafts because they give you open roster spots and the freedom to add after the drafts without dropping anyone, you know, in your standard 12 team mixed league, there is almost always three or four guys that just make it out of the draft that have no business making it out of the draft. So if you can give yourself the opportunity to get the first access to those guys, that's exactly what you want. And you want to maximize those slots as much as you can going into the year because it gives you more assets and the more assets at your disposable, the better. And it's, it gives you a free role on guys that you like that you can take a chance on that you didn't necessarily like enough to expend the draft capital on, but you know, you draft um, Michael Kopech and then you take your shot on Chris Stratton and maybe you get two assets for the price of one. Okay, do not drop players that you truly believed in. Yeah, well, I already dropped Tyler Skaggs, so I guess I messed up right there. But <laughs> I had to take, I had to take my boy Newcomb. Um, but yeah, no, listen, oh you gotta hold. How many times hold, are we gonna mention Sean Newcomb tonight? <laughs> well, listen, you gotta, you gotta hold on to your guys. Believe in your guys. Don't drop them, and then let somebody else reap all the benefits. There's nothing worse then jazzing up some player all year and then some butthole snags him off the wave wire and cashes in on it. So just hold on to him. It's it's worth it in the end to say, ha I was right. Okay, I'm actually going to disagree with you guys here. Uh, only because I think the way things have gone fairly recently, within like the last two or so years, <sighs> that there are guys like Chris Taylor who, if you aren't aggressive you can miss out. Um, So the guys you truly, truly believe in, sure, don't drop them. But guys that you kind of liked coming in, and if they start to struggle, you know, and there's someone that you see that has noticeably changed something about their makeup, uh, I think you have to be aggressive. Well, I, I agree with you, Joe, there, but I think that's kind of the line, right? Um, you know, you can have players you like versus players that you truly believe are going to do something. And if you've liked them and they struggle, I'm okay with tossing them away, provided they aren't, they don't have any residual value. I mean, these two guys we're talking about that are on the back ends of your roster. Um, but if you have a player that you thought was going to break out, like, a like Nick with Jack Flaherty, uh, you you want to see that through as opposed to, you know, dropping him for a starting pitching streamer. Yes. 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 Uh, so I think that's kind of the line and, and I've got like an interesting story. Well, not an interesting story, but you know, a few years ago, you guys know this when Evan Gaddis got his first crack in Houston, 
Um, I drafted him. I was a really strong believer in him with that DH job that he was going to see a ton of volume and have a ton of value. And then he struck out like 20 times in 30 at bats. He was the worst player in baseball. He was dreadful. And I held strong and he turned into, turned in a year where he hit almost 30 bombs and was a top five catcher. So, I mean, got these guys can look really bad in small samples, but if you have a firm belief that they are going to do something or, or they're going to break out, you should stick with it. All right. So my last do scour other rosters, no weaknesses and strengths for potential trades. Yes, you must buy low and you must sell high. Things that we know. It's definitely the buy low part is the best because to start the season, there are a lot of guys. So let's take Ronald Acuna, uh, for example. If he comes out and he struggles like the first month, you know, he's coming right up, by the way. He's going to be up in the first couple of weeks. If he comes up and struggles, uh, you know, right away, owners are going to start to think, oh, he's a bust because we haven't seen him in an MLB level yet. Same thing goes for Ian Happ, small sample size. Um, same thing goes for Alfaro as well. And these are the guys you have to pounce on if you truly believe that they're, they have breakout capabilities. Um, you meant Kingery, right? Not Happ? No, Happ. I mean, he plays. What? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess we've seen. A what I said, yes. Well, it's still a small sample, though. But I don't know. I don't think that a pl- I don't think anybody that drafted him is giving up on him that quickly because he's well. He's got the key rate. That, the thing is, he's got the key rate, so he could very well go like you know two, three weeks, even a month, where he bats like you know two ten, two twenty. It wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility. Okay. You know what? I just you thought know- he was one that jumped out when you were you know going yeah, yeah. through those guys. Oh, that was. It different than the rest. So I just wanted to make sure we weren't talking about somebody else. You know, to, um, to, to kind of add on to, to the, the do portion of this, right. We said no weaknesses and strengths of other teams. I think something important too, and we've mentioned this before while drafting is knowing, um, just knowing your opponents. I mean, everyone has their guys and some people are willing to overpay for, uh, guys that you kind of like, but don't like as much. And I think that might be important sometimes because a, a lot of a lot of players are blind to their weaknesses and strengths. Um, uh, you know, it's easy to be blind too when you think that you have a much better team than you really do. Um, so it's good to get, you know, sec- <laughs> Nick. second. What? It's it's good to what? get second opinions from other people. Yeah, and Joe, I actually have that in my notes. You know, like, know your room extends beyond the draft. So, I mean, like, not only is this useful for trades, but it's useful for predicting who you're going to be battling when fab comes due. You know, so, like, if I'm short on saves, I know what other teams are short on saves. I know what their fab situation is. I know where I think they're going to spend their money. And it helps me develop my bid as opposed to, you know, just bidding against myself. Um, So, I mean, I think it's helpful for not only for trades or or potential trades, um, because not a lot of people like to trade, you know, post-draft preseason because everybody likes their team. I mean, like, that's just the reality of the situation. Most people come out of drafts and they're like, my team is, you know, the best or 
I've got, you know, a team that can win a championship, but it's, it's useful not only for the trades, but for the ability to um, see what, what is going to happen in post-draft free agency. Yeah. And, and this is going to roll into the, to the next uh, item that you have here on this outline, but you know, uh, I, I sort of mentioned alluded to this before, and that's make sure you know your own strengths and weaknesses, right? Don't just go in and be like, Oh, I have the best team. I'm going to win. Know where you're weak and try and fix those problems at some point during the season. You know, I, I think, I think too often, uh, players just just completely ignore what their weaknesses are and then they realize it when it's too late and they're already you know either in 10th place in roto or out of the playoffs and head-to-head or something well yeah and you know as you mentioned do not overreact to your weaknesses because there is still time and that is you're talking about you know recognizing your weaknesses and i think that's important and that's part of this. Um, there's also a segment of people that recognize their weaknesses the moment they get out of the draft and they feel as though they've got to fix it right away. Um, there's no need to. You don't need to do it right away. If you're short on power, you don't need to run out and offer the world for Chris Davis. If you're short on speed, you don't need to pay through the nose for Delino de Shields or Jonathan VR. The time to do that was during the draft. And if you didn't like the value on those guys, then you shouldn't overpay for them and pay beyond that post-draft. There are going to be players that are going to emerge in free agency. It happens every year. Values will stabilize. You know, those guys will settle closer to their draft cost or, or below them in most cases. So you don't have to go out there and trade for them when you're in a position of weakness and, you know, mid-April, you can wait a few weeks and let the season develop. And this is especially true in head-to-head, head-to-head leagues because, you know, you don't have the pressure to finish on top or in first place that you do in Roto. I think in Roto, you have to be a little more aggressive, but that doesn't mean that you have to overpay. Yeah, yeah well said. Um but you know, you, it's you mentioned the shields, and see, this is why I always say like it's good to draft guys like the shields because you have a lot of guys that will panic, and guys always panic about speed, especially after the draft. Um, so like if you took the shields and like the, I think his ADP was like around one sixty ish, incorrect, correct, around that area. Sounds one- about right, but I think that it was going up. So well, I mean, my my point is, on, my, like last weekend, it was probably like one forty five, roughly. All right. Well, my point is, guys like that, I think, could return instant value, like after drafts, and you could shop him. Like if you if you have a guy like that, and you could spare the steals, you could immediately target a team that has all the power, and you know, get a get a nice return for for a guy that you took in the fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth round. Yeah, absolutely. So those two points kind of go together because that, that's what I meant was like, you know, you scour the, the other teams and you look at them and you try and recognize where they're weak. And then if you've got that excess, you know, if you've got that excess speed or you've got that excess power, you know, that's where, you know, you want to attack those teams. And you don't want to be, 
unreasonable because you don't want to burn a bridge, but at the same time, you know, if they need it, you can try and charge them a premium. All right, we're going to move it to an early season watch list. So here we're going to name four players apiece um, that we really want to keep our eyes on. And I will kick it off and talk about one of one player that Nick has always liked, CJ Crone. Wow. So I think there are two things to watch for with Crone or Cron, whatever. For versus. <laughs> Versus the playing time situation. Is Tampa giving him the opportunity to play every day? Or is this the Angels all over again where they platoon him and they jerk him around and they take him in and out of the lineup and you never know when he's going to play? I suspect they're going to play him, but I don't know for sure. If they play him, he's going to be in the middle of a lineup and be a pretty good source for RBIs considering – the plus base runners in front of him. Second, and this is the primary reason, Kron's ground ball rate last year was down 9%, and he pulled the ball 14% more. To me, that's a player that's trying to tap into some latent power. This spring, Kron had three homers, nine doubles, and his air out, ground out numbers were 17 to 8. If Kron could put the ball in the air more, to the pole side, with full-time at-bats in the AL East, he could turn into a very sneaky 275, 25-homer hitter in the middle of a lineup, which still has value these days. Mr. Sunshine on my ass, CJ Cron. You know what? That prediction that you just gave for him was like my exact prediction Year after year after year, when I thought that pool hole. Except eventually... you gave him like eight steals because he's got sneaky speed. That ten steals. He does have. Speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm surprised that you that uh, you brought him up because you constantly just brush him off whenever. I've constantly, because he's, he's always been a six. He's always been a 16 homer hitter that's gotten 450 at bats. Well, yeah. what I've said, he is. Yeah, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I love CJ Cron, and I agree with everything you said. That's all I have to say about that. And yes, you definitely need to watch him. Uh, Joe, are you watching CJ Cron, or are you just changing the channel? Uh, I'm probably changing the channel. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm moderately interested, but... All right, well, why don't you tell us somebody that you're interested in? Okay, so I'm interested in Chan Cisco. So uh, he made the MLB roster to start the season, and that's really good news. Um, so he hasn't shown much pop to date, and he wasn't really scouted as having much pop. Um, but he was and has been scouted with his ability to handle the bat. And um, I think he could see a nice boost in pop with the juice ball in an MLB environment. Um, so I think he'll be able to ha- handle advanced pitching and he's not going to hit 300 right off the bat, but this season he could float around like 260, 270, which is a plus at the catcher position. And um, I think with that that juice ball, he might be able to slap double-digit home runs. So he's kind of like a posy light, obviously without the runs and RBIs. Um, so the the real thing to look out for here is just check the playing time splits between Chancisco and and Caleb Joseph. 
Yeah, I, I like him as well, especially he, he definitely gets a boost in OBP leagues. Uh, he does walk a ton. Um, I like him a lot too, Joe, and he's looked, he looked pretty good this spring. He's definitely a guy that I'm watching right now. And he plays a catcher, which, you know, obviously, huge plus. I don't know. I, I, I just have a cardinal rule against rookie catchers. I just think the position is such a tough one to learn at the major league level that – Oftentimes, the bat just lags behind because defensively they're so important. Um, now, I understand that he's obviously shown the ability to hit at all prior levels, so maybe it'll translate at the major league level, but I have my doubts. Nick, who are you interested in watching? Uh, so I'm going to start off with Jose Martinez. Uh, I know, Pat, you – wanted to talk about him yeah as well, i sure. claimed him first but you know whatever. you claimed him i drafted him whatever yeah um but anyway yeah this is a guy that everyone needs to keep their eyes on um he has some real power he's like six seven two hundred and god knows how many pounds 220 pounds uh he's hands a big the size boy. of alaska hands the size of alaska uh, he has all the tools, honestly, and I think that he's going to get the playing time. I don't think he's in the opening day lineup. Uh, they decided to go with Jerko instead, who – Jerko just keeps coming back to haunt my life. Um, but, uh, yeah, Martinez is the real deal. He's going to hit for good average. Uh, I told Pat I have a, I have a project, projection for him this year, which is 30-plus home runs and close to a 290-ish type average. Like that's insane projections for a guy who really, you know, hasn't had that much MLB playing time. But uh, for anyone who's watched him, you could see the talent. Cardinals fans are absolutely crazy about him. Uh, they're rallying for him to get time. He's going to get the time, and he is going to be awesome. Let me ask you, why do you think he's he's hasn't gotten a lot of playing time? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, the the infield is pretty solid, and Jerko has been. Pacheco has like been pretty damn good and underrated of the last couple of seasons. And you've got Carpenter there. It's not the easiest infield to get inside of, but um, I think it's going to happen this year. He's ready. And last year he did get a healthy amount of at-bats. He had 300 plus. Yeah. To me, this is very similar to what I said about Cron, but I, I believe in Martinez's talent more, you know, like I, I, I am confident that if Martinez got full-time playing time, he'd be a 280-25 homer bat with some upside for more. Um, it's just the playing time is not secure. And, you know, as Nick just mentioned, opening day, Jerk goes in, Martinez is out, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's against a righty. So, I mean, you figure Carpenter's at first base. Uh, this is all going to come down to how much Carpenter can play elsewhere. You know, how often can Matt Carpenter play second base or third base for, for the Cardinals? Um, and that's really going to be the issue unless there's an injury that opens up time for Ho Jose Martinez. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. I'm not even looking at Martinez because I, I think he can do it, and I'm confident yeah. he can do it. It's yeah. just how many times a week is Jose Martinez playing? Yeah, so you you mentioned uh, I can't recall. Oh, Kingry, you mentioned about Kingry, and I think Martinez too, right? Martinez is a lot more value in a daily league than a weekly league at this point. 
That's yeah, cool. and only a daily league with like a deep bench. Mm-hmm. You need the roster spots to like have him right now. Otherwise, he's just a guy you're on. You have on your watch list, and you're watching with you know eagle eyes, like hoping that the opportunity comes through one avenue or another. Okay, um, a guy I'm going to be watching early in the season is Matt Kemp. The speculation this offseason has been that Kemp would either get cut or traded or be a short side platoon guy and be pretty much worthless if he was on the Dodgers. And I don't think that's accurate. Justin Turner is out for a while and Kemp might be the best bat to replace the power that Turner provides. Andrew Andrew Tolles had a very nice spring, but he got sent down. Chris Taylor appears entrenched in center. And Jock Peterson has hit 154, 254, 269. I'll forget about him. In spring. And is looking more and more like a player that really needs a change of scenery. Um, And, I mean, there are creative ways that with Taylor, they can get Kemp into the lineup. And get Peterson into the lineup. You know, Taylor can go to second. Forsyth can go to third. Kemp in one corner. Peterson in the uh, Peterson in center. Puig in the other corner. And I, if Kemp comes out hot, he could really seize a job here. I think the opportunity is there. I do not think he was worth a draft pick in most formats, but I think he's definitely a guy to watch. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what? Le- he really wasn't that. This is a guy that I I, I love like every year and. It's like you guys get on me for it, kind of. No, I'm actually in now. Yeah. Because um, it's free. Yeah, well, I mean, look. Yeah, it's $3. Last, and last year, he really wasn't that bad. I mean, he only had 467, uh, 467 uh, plate appearances, but he would have paced out for 25-ish home runs. Yeah. And a healthy 276 average. And the year before, obviously, had that big year where he had the 35 home runs. And now he's back at home. Uh, this could be really interesting. And I don't think there's – Jock Peterson was so bad last year. I really just – don't see him getting more playing time than Kemp. I think eventually Kemp works his way into an everyday role and he'll be pretty solid. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I, I kind of agree with you guys. I think Roberts um, likes Kemp. He's uh, quoted as saying he likes that, that Kemp came to camp in great shape and he, uh, he's always been a professional. So I, I think he's another guy that's kind of earned his keep with the Dodgers. Whereas Peterson, I mean, yeah, he he struggled, and he's he struggled last year. He struggled before that. So, I I agree. I think Kemp's probably worth owning, and he's definitely worth owning over someone like Peterson. I found it very telling today that they sent down Andrew Tolles. I thought it was a really good sign for Matt Kemp. Yeah. Okay, Joe. Why don't you give us your second guy? So uh, I have a pair of guys here, um, and so it's uh, Tyler Molly, Ma- Molly and Amir Garrett, uh, both from the Reds, the Reds starting pitching staff. So first I'll start with uh, Molly. So um, he doesn't really look like he's got crazy high strikeout upside or projectability, but the, he does command his own really well. He knows how to mix speeds and, is, and has a – Fastball slider combo that he relies on with a changeup as a third pitch. So he's got three pitches. Um, he's got the out pitch and the slider. So 
he's also going to start in the Reds rotation, and he's not going to wow anyone or single-handedly win you a league in 2018, but he could be a really good innings eater type if he gets off to a good start and he's doing his thing. Um, so he's just a guy to watch. Now, another guy, the other guy, Amir Garrett, in the Reds rotation, he's got a lot more upside. Um, and with the rain out tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening, um, he's going to start in the rotation. Um, I think he's slated to start on Tuesday now. So he's armed with much more a strikeout upside. And even though he struggled like crazy last year with home runs and control, um, this spring he's come back healthy after the, uh, the shortened season last year. And he's been clocked pumping uh, mid to upper 90s after sitting in the low 90s last year. So he's another name to totally watch. I wouldn't recommend really picking him up right now, but if he gets off to a hot starter too, um, I think you want to grab him. And I think Garrett's probably, you probably have to be more aggressive on Garrett as he has the name with, you know, he's got, a, he's got the hotter prospect name. Um, so you might get sniped there if you're not aggressive. See, I, I kind of disagree with you. I, I have, I like Molly actually better. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, take away last year, which obviously extremely short season, just 20, 20 innings pitched. And he's had like really, really, really impressive uh, walk totals in his minor league career. Yeah, he's got great command. That's what I said. Yeah. So, I mean, and as far as the, the key rate, it, it's hovered like a, a right around eight and, and over like around eight and uh, 8.40, I think is his career average uh, in the minors. And I think that could translate to the majors as well, along with really good command. I kind of like him better than Garrett, where Garrett's kind of been an up and down guy as far as command goes through the years. Um, but yeah, I like Molly's upside a little bit better. Well, I mean, let, let me just give you some background on Garrett. Garrett is a former college basketball player. Um, who was not fully devoted to pitching up until the time of his graduation. So he's a bit older. Um, and as Joe pointed out, his velocity jumped this spring. And I believe it was the result of a mechanical change. And probably so health. You've got, yes, and he was very banged up last year. I think he had hip issues. Yeah, hip issues. Um, so, I mean, you, you combine health. You combine a pitcher with limited experience, you know, starting late, and you add in a velo boost that produced results. Um, I am much higher on Garrett than I am Molly. And a lot of it has to do with the ballpark, uh, you know, because I'm looking at Great American, and Great American's not the park where you want to be rolling seven and a half, eight K per nine. And relying on, you know, contact to get your outs. It's just, it's not a good mix in that ballpark. Um, whereas if Garrett's truly turned the corner and is going to become a strikeout, you know, pitcher and, 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 you know, K somewhere around one per inning, um, you know, he becomes much more appealing to me than, than Molly ever would. Yeah. Yeah. I just think Garrett's got the higher upside. Yeah, just, absolutely. I would rather roll the dice on Garrett than, than, than Molly. Nick. 
Hey, you know who we haven't spoke about at all tonight? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Here it comes. Well, we haven't spoken about him a lot on previous spots. So let's let's I want to hear what you guys think about Newcomb. Um so Sean Newcomb. Uh it's a guy that I picked up uh after our draft. I'm really excited to see him play this year. He's shown better command in spring training, which is obviously his biggest fault. Otherwise, you really can't argue that his strikeout stuff is real and he has an absolute ton of upside in that department. The problem is just the walks. He doesn't really give up that many home runs either. Um, so if he's able to bring that 5.13 base on ball nine, to just like give us like 4.3 might be livable. Um, I, I mentioned – I comped him to Robbie Ray uh, through you know our group chat. Uh, I think over the years, if he could develop some like better command, he could turn into what Robbie Ray is now. Uh, but it seems like, and I know it's obviously a small sample and, and it is spring training, but it has been better. So I'm a believer. I, I absolutely love the stuff. The breaking stuff is off the charts. And I'm really excited to see what this kid could do this year in a full season. He's in the rotation. What do you guys think about Nukem? Pat? I am not going to draw conclusions about his control off of a 15 inning sample in spring training where he was facing slightly above double a competition for most of it. Um, so here's my opinions on Newcomb. He certainly got strikeout stuff. He's a pitcher that as Nick, outline could survive because of that strikeout stuff with a below average walk rate. Um, so, I mean, if he can get it to around four, yeah, he can live there because he's got the K stuff. Um, but to me, I've watched this guy pitch and I do not like the mechanics at all. I, I think that he is, Wild with his mechanics, I think he has minus minus command of his stuff, and that's going to lead to walk problems, high pitch counts, and ultimately, I think he ends up being a reliever. Uh, I've got nothing to add aside from the fact that I echo exactly what Pat said. I think he'll end up being a reliever. Sorry, Nick. It's all right. Okay, my next guy is Chris Stratton. Um, I just want to take this moment just to say that this was originally for Nadie Ovaldi, but his arm fell off again. Yeah, rest in peace. But listen, I, I don't want my, you know, optimism about Ivaldi, which perpetually exists, to overshadow my optimism for Stratton. He finished a strong. He finished last year really strong. He has a dynamite curveball and had a really strong spring. Three point two nine ERA, a K per nine over twenty seven innings, and he finished up last year really strong as well. Due to the injuries, Stratton's going to get a nice long look in this rotation, and he's going to have a plus home park. If he embraces that curveball like he should and like I think he will, 
he could be a sneaky top 40, top 50 starting pitcher. Yeah, he needs to throw some other pitches like a lot more. He, he relies on his fastball way too much. And if you look at the swinging strike rates on the breaking stuff, they're really good. Um, they're all like right around that 15% mark, which is to me the, the target. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't. I like the upside in Gar in um, Stratton. I do like the upside. I just we need to see the pitch mix change, or else he's going to be the same pitcher. Um. So I know he's in the top, top somewhere in uh, in spin rate, pitch spin rate, and that's that's the thing that's really got me excited about Stratton. Um. I. Crap! I don't have it in front of me. I don't. I don't know exactly how high he is, but I know he's got some of the, some of the highest spin rates in the league. Um, so yeah, I know we haven't seen it yet, but um, and Nick, you mentioned it too. He's he's got the curveball. Uh, so I think he's worth rolling the dice, and he's got a great ballpark. So, you know, it's not like he's gonna get crushed. Um, I mean, yeah, but that's what they said about Matt Moore. No, that's what you said about Matt Moore. <laughs> that's what I said about Matt Moore. So, yeah. How I, bad I, could it be? I'm, I'm with you here. I, I think he's worth rolling the dice. <clears throat> All right. Uh, next up, I took – well, I, I think you should watch kind of just the Arizona Diamondbacks, the whole the whole team. Originally, I thought uh, Nick and Med and Cattell Marte, and this is specifically for Chris Owings playing time. But now that Marte's got uh, an extension, I think he's pretty much locked into playing time. The thing, the thing about uh, Nick Ahmed is that he's a pretty good defender, um, and I think Chris Owings might have might have trouble bumping him, um, bumping Ahmed, you know, from from shortstop or, or second base. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I, as much as Nick, you and I love Chris Owings, um, it's just tough to see him getting playing time without someone getting hurt or Ahmed just totally stinking it up. Well, don't you think he's going to see a pretty decent amount of at-bats between a corner outfield spot with um, Souza out and a third baseman oh. that can't hit lefties. That is true. I completely forgot that Souza. I mean, there. I know Dyson is there, so he's sort of on the short side with both those guys. But between that and the fact that Ahmed can't hit, um, I don't know. I don't know that I'm that concerned or. Or maybe my expectations just weren't that high in terms of his playing time to begin with. You know, I always saw him as like a 500 PA guy at best. I think if he gets the 500, then he's he's definitely worth owning. Yeah, I agree. But then you factor in his injuries, and that's where you don't get to the 500. Yeah. But I, but I think in his current role, you know, even if everybody stayed healthy, he could still find his way to 500. Yeah, I, I admittedly forgot about Sousa, even though you mentioned him. Um, so, yeah, I think that's actually a good point that um, that could open up some some playing time for him. And, yeah, I think if he's healthy, if he can get to like 450 or 500, 
I, I mean, I really like him. I think and there's other guys on the team that aren't picture of health either. I mean, Peralta's, Peralta's not the picture of health. Pollock's certainly not the picture of health. So, I mean, you know, there are, there are other opportunities there for him to, you know, pick up three weeks worth of at-bats elsewhere in the lineup. So he was on 2020 pace last year before the injury. Yeah. But so, Umidor. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I'm not worried about Owings. I'm worried about Jake Lamb. Okay. Um. All right. So my next guy, uh, a guy that Pat kept secret from everyone. He kept him in his safe, and then on draft day when I took him, I heard it from the from the corner of the room. That was the guy I was talking about, or whatever. Um, Jake Junis. So. Yeah, uh, he climbed up my rankings as well, Pat. Like, right before the draft, I was kind of, like, clamping down, looking at guys who could provide me with really good ratios because we're in a K-to-walk league, and that's one of the things that I focus on the most. And Junis is definitely that guy. Um, After looking at his stats, I I was surprised to see how good his command has been throughout his uh, minor league and major league career. Um, Along with the breaking stuff that he has, this could be a real breakout pitcher. He's in a great ballpark. He's in the rotation right now. He is in it. There's no question about it. And yeah, and they've got no reason to take him out. Yeah, like there is not. There is he had like everyone in that rotation right now has a leash the size of Texas. Like there's nothing bringing that in his <laughs> neck or anyone else's. Um. So yeah, I really like this stuff, and I really like the pitch mix. The slider is really really nice. Um. And what were you trying to say, something, Joe? Well, yeah, yeah. So I. I think it's the pitch mix, right? The pitch mix is the key. If he switches up the pitch mix and pretty much uh, stops throwing the sinker, um, then I think he can be a lot better. Well, why why stop throwing the sinker? Because it's bad. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like I mean, sinkers are sinkers are sinkers, right? They induce ground balls, but they also often get crushed. So I mean. I, I think if he if he relies on the breaking stuff a little bit more, um, he could take a leap. And it's probably just sequencing, right? As he learns as a pitcher, um, and sequences better, he can improve. So I think there's there's projectability, and I think it's in the pitch mix because I think the stuff's good enough to play. And he also had like a ridiculous spring, like yeah. was maybe the best pitcher in baseball this spring. So, Pat, why did he climb up your rankings before pre-draft? I just dug in on the slider, and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. Like, I think the I think he's got an elite breaking pitch and otherwise has pretty good command. So, combine an elite pitch with uh, good command, he can overcome some of the flaws in his game, and if he throws the breaking pitch a little bit more, suddenly in a good ballpark, he's like a top – 40 starting pitcher easy yeah he's really interesting yeah and that, and that's what i'm saying right the pitch mix right if he if he go if he ups the slider percentage by like five to ten percent drops that sinker percentage a little bit keeps the sinker to ground to to, to generate ground balls but it's mostly you know he, he mostly becomes like patrick corbin-esque and is throwing the slider all the time or like corbin should be right i i mean again there's like a path to him becoming significantly better yeah, and Stratton and Stratton and Junis were the two guys that like rose up my board quite a bit, you know, over the last week. 
Yeah, I was and looking. Of at- course, you two assholes ended up with them. Oh Jesus! Well, wow. you took Stratton, Chris. I mean, um, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jake. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Sorry, Pat. All right, zero shares and regret. So we're gonna name two players we have no shares of that we wish we did. Now I can't talk about Chris Stratton here because I do own Chris Stratton in the league, but I'll spare you guys Jake Junis again and talk about somebody else. So my first guy is Travis Shaw. Um, I'm a big fan of what the Brewers have offensively, and Shaw put together a really good year last year. He has the power and can chip in some speed. He's also unaffected by the log jam in the outfield and first base. No one's coming over to third base to take his at-bats. So I think the playing time is relatively safe in the middle of a really good lineup. I think he could replicate a 30-10-270 type season. Yeah, I'm not sure. Do you know uh, what his ADP was offhand? Probably pretty high. He was high. close to like a top 100 guy. Yeah. Maybe 90. Sounds him. right. Yeah, it does sound right. Because I remember looking at it and saying, wow, Shaw's not getting any love for a 27-year-old breakout. Um, uh, 80, 88. Damn, I'm good. I, I think yeah, it's like, the speed that people don't believe in, if I'm not mistaken. But he's like 15 of 16 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he runs. He's run very well. Any so. concern Any concern that the Brewers are going to be better and not, might not run as much? No, because Craig Council is going to love to run because he's Craig Council. Craig Council. <laughs> just, just asking. Yeah, I mean, no, this, no, I'm not worried about that. The Brewers lineup is insanity. Like these guys in the like, I have Braun projected for so many RBIs, and Shaw is going to get so these guys get on base so much ahead of him. Like the totals could be insane. Yeah, uh, I, have, I mean, like that's even kind of my point though. Like. Not only are those guys going to get on base, but he's not a part of that whole mix where yeah, we're yeah, worried about safe. guys coming in and out of the lineup. Like he's there is nobody to take him out of this lineup. Yeah, Braun was miserable at third base. <laughs> he's yeah. never playing third base ever again. Yeah, he hates yeah. first base. How's he going to play third? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you're right. He's protected. All right, Joe, why don't you give us your first guy that you All right, my, have my, regrets about? My, my first guy is Blake Snell. Um, so uh, yeah, I didn't get any shares of him either. Uh, yeah. He went early in our draft, huh? So he, yeah. he went. That's because he's sexy. He, in in our in our battle of the podcast league, um, it kind of just didn't work out that we got a shot at Snell, and then yeah, in our home league, he went. He went a lot earlier than I thought he would be. Um, someone must believe in him even more than we do. Somebody listened to the podcast. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, he's just a, an excellent breakout candidate. He was great after the uh, the pitching mound change. Uh, we discussed him a lot, and I just really wish I could have him so I could say, yeah, you know, we called that one, but uh, no shares of Blake Snell. Well, we could still say that, Joe, because we were all over him. Yeah, and we have a podcast, which is nice. Yeah. Nick? Uh, yeah, no, I listen, I, I, I don't own him either, and I was really shocked to see him go that high in our league. Um, was, I, what, I, like round six or seven? It, it was high, and you, you know what it is? I just felt like with him, he would only go really high if it was one of us taking him, 
but that's, what, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. So that's why I was like really shocked. Um, but yeah, listen, he's going to be awesome, man. That breaking stuff is his breaking stuff is no joke. And if this command, if the, if the better control, I'm sorry, is, is, is real, then this could be like a, just like a stupid breakout season from him. Yep. All right, Nick, tell me who one of your biggest regrets uh, is. Charlie, Charlie, come on, Charlie. <laughs> oh, Charlie Moore. And God, I had him penciled in on my team, like. There was like two guys that I had penciled in on my team. It was John Gray and Charlie Morton. I got John Gray, thank God. Uh, but I missed out on Morton, man, and I, I'm really upset about it. I, I know that he's uh, not a big innings guy. You're, I guess with him, you're hoping for like right around that 150 mark. But you're getting really, really good quality innings from a guy that is just another guy who is just extremely underrated. Everything he did last year was real. Uh, all the strides he's made over the last couple of seasons are real. Last year, he had a 10K per nine. Um, and he only walked 3.07 per nine. Uh, those are really, really, really good numbers. So uh, someone else took him uh, a lot higher than his ADP was, and I missed out on him in that in that draft. I'm really upset about it. I love Morton. Nick, you left out one of the best parts. That ground ball rate. Ah, the ground ball rate. It's not rate. just the Ks. It's the ground balls, man. 50-plus percent ground ball rate. Uh, yeah, Morton's fantastic. Um, and, you know, I'm not really worried about the injuries because, again, you you just kind of have to put these things in perspective. I mean, you pencil them in, you hope for 125, 130, if you get more than that, it's gravy. If you get less than that, he never really went at a price where, um, you know, if you lose him very early on, he's prohibitive. So, you know, he's he was he. I, I always viewed him as a value. Um, you know, I didn't get any shares of him either, and it is a regret for me. But you know, he he's a player that I think you can feel pretty good about, especially as like a number four. SP, like I think he's yeah. fantastic in that range. Definitely, which is where he was going. Yep. Does Brad Peacock represent like a cheaper version of Charlie Morton? Uh, no, yeah. because he doesn't have the ground balls. Yeah, but the K and the the walk are actually pretty damn similar, and the ERA. Probably. No, has... I think that Charlie. I also think Charlie was a little better bet to go deeper into games. Okay. Like, I think Peacock I, I, was a guy that, like, did a lot of, like, four and two-thirds. Yeah, he did. He did. But I bet you the price difference probably justifies that. I mean, yeah, I, don't well, get me wrong. The right? price I difference really is like all about Charlie role. Moore. I mean, you know, the, don't you think? Like, Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, I, I want to be clear, right? Like, I like Charlie Morton, too. But it just came to me that, like, Peacock kind of is really similar. And he's a lot cheaper, or he was a lot cheaper. I think Charlie's the better pitcher overall. I don't know. I don't know that they're that close. Because Peacock's really a two-pitch guy. Yeah, yeah, but he's been a successful two-pitch guy, and he's got – Well, he's had one good year. Yeah, yeah but we all believe in it, though. Like, they're, Yeah, and they're like elite pitches. Yeah. pitches. yeah, I agree. I agree, but – I don't know. I to me, like Peacock should be that multi-inning relief guy. I think at the end of the day, 
Yeah, which is okay, right? But what I'm getting at is that at the end of the day, right, unless if Charlie Morton stays healthy, which is possible, right, but I wouldn't bank on it, the end of the day, they're probably going to be really, really close. At the, okay, at, so so I think your point is, if I'm if I'm getting it, is the extra twenty to thirty innings of Charlie Morton is not worth, you know, whatever the ADP difference was. I don't I don't actually know if it's not worth it. It's just that I think it just shines a light on how how good of a steal Brad Peacock could be. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I'm with it. Yeah, I do think the Peacock kind of dropped off dramatically after, you know, his quote-unquote demotion. But I, I think that was a little overblown. And, you know, real quick, just to stick on the Astros pitches for one second, like, I just want to bring him up for a second. I feel like we really haven't spoken about Lance McCullers a lot on the on the pod. But after I took him at the draft, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had – I really didn't have – I didn't think I was going to own him. And then after I did, I was like, oh, my God, this could be it. This It just looks so sexy. And I was approached by three different people at the draft that wanted him. And I was able to flip him for Chris Davis. But, like, looking back on ADPs at 120. You got him cheap, man. Yeah, but looking at the ADPs right now, like, who's going around 127? Get Sonny Gray, Stroman, all these, like, guys. Isn't Lance McCullers, like, wasn't he, like, super sexy at that ADP looking back? I mean, McCullers could, like, he's a guy that can win you a league. Yeah. I I mean, I love Stroman. Stroman's my boy, but he probably can't. I feel yeah. like the kid in the is this real life meme. Because what? last week I said that Lance McCullers was a riser for me. Yeah, and, and we actually, when we discussed McCullers on the pod, we all agreed that he could be, like, top, top, like, ace level pitcher. Yeah, he has that upside in the best case scenario. So yeah, Nick, you're wrong. You just don't listen to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right. My second regret is David Price. And, you know, as is usually the case, early drafters benefited and then the market caught on late. In February, price was going around SP35. And when the calendar turned to March, it felt like every draft I was in, he went almost as a top 20 starting pitcher, which I still think is pretty good value because I, I had him just outside the top 20. He's looked great this spring. Uh, he's reported that he's healthy. Um, he came back last year at the end of the year and was very, very good. So, I mean, I, I think that people that got price are going to walk away very happy, especially those that drafted early and were able to get him when he was going outside the top 30. That boy is good. Yeah, he looks really good in spring training right now, like super sharp old David Price. Uh, this is another nice return. I think that um, him and him and Lance McCullers are like five picks apart from each other, rightfully so. They both offer, I think, the same amount of upside with um, Lance – probably a little bit more risk or maybe a lot more risk. Yeah. I'm, I'm in on price. Joe, who's your second guy? Oh, my bad. So uh, my second guy is Kenley Jansen, actually. Um, so this really is all about uh, just never having owned the relief pitcher. And I think 
Kenley Jansen is definitely special. We've talked about him on the Relief Pitcher Pod. Um, you know, he's in a class of his own. He is he's a he's elite. He's great. He's been great for a number of years now. And in our home league, he went in round five, and that's with forty eight keepers off the board. So he went in like a hundredth overall. And uh, I know in typically his ADP was like round four, so like forty eight, fifty or so. But man, 50 picks after that, I think that's a really, really good value. And I think he went in our league in a place where he should have. And I think, I I mean, it would have been really nice to just own the relief pitcher and not really have to worry too, too much about scrambling at the wire. I kind of disagree with you. I still... I can never fathom the idea of taking a reliever in round three, five. I just can't. Um, but yeah, Jansen is that guy. He is super elite, but it's just too early to take a closer. It, you're you're praying for sixty five plus innings, and it's there's just not enough juice there, even in a saves league. Yeah, it's a closer. I have no regrets. I don't. I do, I do not care about owning the top reliever at all. Yeah, Pat got Rodzella Glazius in like what round? Round, I think twelve. Yeah. So, Joe, would you rather have Kenley Jansen in five or Iglesias in twelve? Come on. Uh, I think I'd still rather have Jansen. Oh my God, you're nuts. Oh, you cray. Yeah, I, I'm, you, dig- I'm digging my heels. <laughs> it was it was Iglesias in eleven. Not that it really matters. Yeah, still, you cray. You cray. <laughs> All right, Nick. Oh, God. I almost cried on draft day. When Jamison Tayon was taken, <laughs> all I heard was Pat's loud, drunk voice like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I heard him say, oh, look at Nick. Look at Nick. Everybody look at Nick. Um, yeah, this was this was really sad, man. This was a really sad day. I lost my Tayon. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is my guy. And I look at him like the poor man's Luke Weaver, um, young pitcher with extremely good command, extremely good upside, nice breaking stuff, really nice breaking stuff, um, really nice movement. I uh, I think the upside with this kid is just absolutely tremendous, and his ADP is freaking sweet. Uh, I think that this year he's going to have something like a 3.50 ERA with a really nice like 8.9-ish Kaper 9 and like a freaking 2. Four, five, walk per nine. He's going to be a stud. I love this kid. And I regret it. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I I, we, I said this when we discussed Tyone, and I think that your opinion of him is definitely higher than mine. But I definitely do think that he was being underdrafted, um, you know, as like a right around top 50 SP. I think he should have been closer to 40, maybe inside the top 40. Um, You know, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that made last year difficult for him. Um, And he was also very unlucky. So, uh, you know, good ballpark, pretty good defense around him. Luck swing, hopefully better luck on the health end. Um, yeah, I can definitely see him returning value at where he was going in drafts. Yeah, he should be. He should. I think he's like a near lock to return value. I'd be really surprised if he was worse than he 
end last year. Okay. All right, guys, let's do some real life predictions just for fun. Give me your AL MVP winner and your dark horse. Joe, you go first. Uh, well, so obviously God Trout. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the yeah. easiest one we're gonna pick. Uh, my dark horse, I guess this is a dark horse. I don't know how deep we're going, but I'm gonna go with Mookie Betts. Um, I'm That's just not deep enough. It's really. <laughs> I know everybody felt like a dark horse compared to Trout. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know how deep we wanted to go, but I, I just, picked. I actually picked his teammate. I picked Andrew Benatendi. Okay. I I, I picked JD Martinez. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we are high on the Red Sox. Yeah, and yeah. I I texted you guys the other day that Martinez had a 690 slugging percentage, which is just like absurd, and he's gonna absolutely mash this year. He's gonna he's he might win MVP over Trout straight up. All right, so Pat, since yours is a. Uh... Yours is probably the darkest of, of the three of us. What, what do you think Benintendi ends up doing? I actually or- do not think that Benintendi is going to have his breakout year this year. But as we discussed on the podcast previously, Benintendi is the type of hitter that could go. I mean, he could put up a season similar to what Betts did in 2016, which would be, you know, close to 30 bombs, 20, 25 steals, a 310 batting average, etc. And if he does that, hitting second in a Red Sox lineup on a really good team, um, you know, he could very easily find himself, find his way into the MVP discussion. Um, so, I mean, this is less about what I think he'll do and more about what I think he's capable of at some point in the future and maybe I just don't have the timing right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the same for the NL. Winner and Dark Horse. Joe. Well I have I have the win my, my NL MVP. I said it a thousand times already. Freddie Freeman, lock it up. Lock of the lock of the century. It's gonna happen. And Dark Horse. Uh the NL is like 10 times better than the AL. So it's really hard to like go deep, but like Joey Votto, Nolan Arenado, uh, the obvious picks, but I'm going with Votto as the dark horse. He's just the best hitter ever. Okay. My, uh, my winner is Chris Bryant and dark horse is Christian Yelich. Mm. Mm, That's like that. That's pretty dark. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My winner is Nolan Arenado. And my dark horse is Lorenzo Kane. Carlos Santana. Wow. That is dork. That's a that's just a taste of things to come, boys, boys and girls. All right, Ale Cy Young. Winner and Dark Horse. Joe? Oh, I have I'll go first. I have Chris (laughs) Sale. I have Chris I have Chris Sale as my winner. Chris Sale. Yeah, and dark horse Lance McCullers just got to stay healthy. Ooh, my dark horse is his teammate David Price. Okay, and your winner? Oh, Sale. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Clean sweep for Sale. And my dark horse is Tanaka. Garrett Richards. <laughs> oh, oh God! Damn. 
That's not bad. He's gonna stay healthy. Yeah, if he stays healthy. Yeah. Oh no, it's not happening. No, it's Pat, not. It, I think I think Garrett Riches might be Pat's like all time guy. <laughs> like of anyone, football, baseball, anything, like Garrett Richards is I guy. mean, doesn't doesn't he have to be? He is like on death's doorstep and Pat is still interested. But he's so friggin' good. Yeah. He really is so damn good. Over like twenty inning stretches, he's the best. Yeah. All right. Same deal. NL Cy Young. NL Cy Young, easy. It's gonna be a clean sweep for Kershaw. Well, unless I'm gonna pick Scherzer, I'm gonna pick Kershaw though. He looked. He, he didn't give up. He did not give up one run in the spring training. He's just an animal. Scherzer for me. I'll take Kershaw. And Dark Horse, I'm taking my boy who has a 0.55 ERA this spring. Luke Weaver. Leave it to Weaver. Yeah, my dark horse is not dark at all. It's Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> it's oh, going to be one of the two of them. It's cheap. I took Jose Quintana because yeah. I pride. Yeah, I like that. Very nice. That creep can roll. Yeah, he can. All right, AL rookie. Willie Calhoun. So, Tani. I was going to say AJ Puck. Sad. Sad. Uh... Willie Calhoun as well. NL rookie. Easy. Ronald Acuna. Yeah. Acuna. Ryan McMahon. <laughs> pride. <laughs> More pride, yeah. <laughs> All right. Give a, give me your AL division winners and the wild cards. Uh, all right. Division winners going to be Yankees. Uh, well, first of all, the World Series, it's going to be Yankees. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, sorry. Oh. All right. All right, so so division winners are going to be Yankees, Indians, Astros, and that's it. Joe, who are the wild cards? Uh, wild cards, Red Sox, and Mariners. All right, I got everyone the same, but it's Minnesota, not the Mariners. Okay. All right. Yankees, Indians, Astros, Angels. Obviously. God, the AL sucks so bad. The NL is going to be so fun this year. All right. Well, let's do the NL. Division winners and wild cards. All right. NL. Here we go. All right. Division winners. NL East. Easy. The Braves. NL Central. No, no. All right. It's it's the Nationals. Um, <laughs> NL Central, and obviously this is like the really tough one. Or not, it's the Brewers. It's not even going to be close. And NL West is going to be the Rockies. Damn, I was so hoping you were taking the Padres. Oh, I should have. But they're in my wild card, no. Um, And the wild cards, oof, this is going to be tough. But I'm going with the Cubs and the Dodgers. Usual suspects. All right, I'm going Washington. Uh, the Cubs for the Central and the Dodgers for the West, because I'm not smoking. And uh, what do you mean, not smoking. What do you mean? I don't think there's any way the Rockies. Are Dude, the, the Rockies are so good this year. But go ahead. Uh, and then the wild card is St. Louis and Milwaukee. All right, I've got the Nats, the Cubs, the Rockies, yeah, the Dodgers, and the Phillies. Wow. Led by NL MVP candidate Carlos Santana. So the Brewers don't make the playoffs, huh? 
I don't like that rotation. I mean, it's who likes it? It's terrible. But that yeah, dude, that lineup is like a, it's like a dream. It really is like a I dream. I know they're wasting it. All right, World Series and the champion. It's going to be Yankees Rockies, and the Yankees are going to win. Uh, it's going to be Yankees in Washington, and the Yankees are going to win. It's going to be the Cubs and the Angels, and the Cubs are going to win. Hmm. Okay, well, there we go. We've laid out the entire season for you guys on opening day. We hope that we didn't spoil it for you. And we hope that you enjoyed our early season advice. Enjoy opening day. And we'll be back next week. Let them know where they can find you on Twitter, guys. Nick FWO. Joe FWO. And Pat FWO. Thanks for all the uh, the nice comments and uh, words of encouragement, guys. We appreciate it. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase.